Coming up, Jennifer Tilly joins Ileana in just a minute. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, it's the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast, starring Ileana Douglas. Eavesdrop with Ileana as she interviews Hollywood's most prominent players about filmmaking, acting, and what really happens on the set of your favorite flicks and TV shows. Hello, everyone. Hi, it's Ileana Douglas with the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. Hello, Tamara Bird, my lovely co-host. My favorite day of the week, Thursday podcast. And uh, we've got Tuesday podcast. Tuesday podcast. Yes. Well, we shoot it. We can reveal that we we do it on Thursdays. But I just wanted to mention some amazing guests that we have uh, coming up. Uh, Fred Willard. Yes. Thora Birch, of course. Yes. And uh, Joe Dante. I'm very excited to be speaking to him. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And please continue. And we've had some really great, amazing, amazing guests in the past, too. So if if you're just joining us, scroll back through um, yeah. our website is ilianaspodcast.com go to the episodes page and you can see everything that we have done up to this point and yes. there are some incredible interviews really um, insightful mm-hmm. interesting you know, interesting people with uh, uh, amazing stories of course I mean yeah going back to the beginning with Leslie Ann Warren and mm-hmm. uh, and of course Alfred Molina who we keep mentioning because he's on feud we love him so much uh, also, a uh, congratulations to the wonderful Bette Midler, who is opening tonight on uh, on Broadway. Hello, Dolly. So, very excited about that. And we're going to be talking to Jennifer Tilly, Yay! who I've known for close to 20 years. Speaking of feuds, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's the greatest. And uh, she's just a lot of fun. And I, I was also always... Also been on Broadway. Been on Broadway. Yes, we're my goodness. Been that. on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the women I saw her on, on Broadway, she was fantastic. And in a movie called Bullets Over Broadway. So Oscar that's, nominated. Yes, that's two Broadways. Yes. Uh, that she has over me. Uh, oh, look at us. <laughs> How cute. Look yeah. at us there together. That cute picture. Of yeah, we too. also did, uh, we used to do uh, the celebrity autobiography together uh, quite a bit, although doing our, uh, doing the movie Bella Mafia, as I wrote about in my book, or as I called it, the roulette wheel of uh, insanity. I love your stories about yeah. Bella Mafia. I know. And They're one of the, fantastic. One of the, fun, <laughs> one of the highlights of doing the book, of course, was reading and then having Jennifer Tilly read as herself. That yes. Was, that was kind of my fantasy of oh having gosh. someone actually, you know, kind of go behind the scenes and talk about what happened. Because I, I always wanted to be in a movie that was like Noises Off where everything kind of went wrong. and uh, and uh, But we lived to tell the tale. Yes, you did. And, yes, you did. Uh, so that was, you know, so that'll be fun. We'll talk about that and many, many more things coming yeah. up. Yeah. So I had, I had thought. Yes. Um, you uh, have been having phone issues, telephone issues. <laughs> well, I refuse to give up my lucky phone. It's, a, it's I, not so lucky when it doesn't work and you have to carry a paperclip with you at all times. I'm appealing to the world. Someone yes. needs to give celebrity Ileana Douglas a new phone because she's not going to buy one herself. Well, I have the phone. So I have the phone and then, yes, it, 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 it breaks down and the only way to reboot it is you have to for those of you, uh, if this happens, on the side there's a little slot. You put a little um, pin or a paper clip in it, and you pop out the SIM card, and you put it back in, and it works. I, incidentally, I have the same thing in my bag. Yeah, exactly, right? Act, actress reboot. Mm-hmm. But 
So I have a friend and I said, the only way we're gonna do it, you're gonna have to force me. I bought, my phone is from, get ready, 2011. Oh wait, we have one better. Yeah. John, would you like to share your phone? How old is your Sh phone? You can show it to I, us. I don't, I, I love my old phone. It's my Jerry Lewis it phone. It is. Because I called, that wow, that's a flip phone. It, that's a flip so you're, phone. So now you're like Jerry Lewis. You've got the the old, yeah. the flip phone. He's got you the flip and, phone, and, and it's too bad they can't see the Jerry. screen on it, because it's like two-thirds of it you can't yeah. see. It looks yeah. like it's got mold across. It's not mold, but that's what it looks like when a screen degrades. Is it your lucky the, phone? Uh, no, no oh. it's not lucky. I just, I just don't care enough about phones to... <laughs> yeah, those of us who either. like to call John really care about his phone because it yes. rings about half the time. Yeah, and well, that's uh, kind of fun. It's exciting. Anti-technology. Yeah, um, you people make me crazy. I am the tech nerd for my like entire everything. community. Not so much like I don't go out and buy the latest thing, but mm. when problems, when things go awry, I am the person people call. I am the one. You know, I, I've I've literally been in London. Mm -hmm. And, you know, gotten a phone call. Hi, I need some tech support from a family member. <laughs> I had to give tech support over the phone, international phone calls. Yes. I'm, I'm, that's what I do. Well, it's scary because every time you, as we now know, in the yeah. old, every time you upgrade, you lose something. And so I got as far as to go to the Grove to buy a phone. And I was all set, really excited. Oh and then they said, have you backed everything up? Because yes. there, there's a l big chance that you're going to lose everything. Yeah when you got a new phone and i was like wow that's that's a great sales technique thank you yeah. i think i think we'll go to bennett's ice cream now um so <laughs> i did not buy a phone i went home and today made an appointment so where i'm gonna back up everything on my computer it'll be a complete nightmare if i lived closer to you i would do that tech support for you you'll do that i would yeah I would. Uh, Next so, time. Next but I'm phone. close, I'm close to getting a new phone. Although I'm still, I love my, I, I love my old phones. You know, I, I keep everything. I have old phone machines. I have old phone messages. Nice. I keep everything. Uh, I have message. You know, I can't get rid of messages. No, of course. Do you keep messages? Of course I do. Yeah. So, I, I, I you know. No, you don't know. Oh my God! I just, I have to listen to these. I'm like, that's the day that so and so called me. Yeah cheers me up i have a couple of people who are going to be guests on the show at some point mm -hmm. who i've saved their messages because they're pretty iconic people i can't say yet because we haven't booked them for sure yes um but you know at least a couple of yes well, you I know do. all of them but i mean i do you know a couple of them are like oh blank called me yeah Here, i would listen i i think i think a lot of people you know in this uh, i love hearing uh voice messages i think it's you know kind of funny I, they uh, you know I just people sound different when they leave you a message mm -hmm. I think there's something nice I wonder if I have Jennifer Tilly on a, on a, I'll have on to a go voicemail home, go home in my archive exactly and, pull out your and see what I have BASF tapes I used to do a mix I used to have I used to have a mixtape of all celebrities it was just like Hey, Leon, it's Cuba Gooding, you know. Oh, that's it's the, great. It's the, the, and then when you put them all together, it was pretty fun. But we don't have mixtapes anymore. That's fantastic. Yeah, do I you still a, have that tape? I do, I do. And in fact, uh, uh, in, um, when we did Bella Mafia with Vanessa Redgrave, she used to call me. And I, have all, and I used to put, like I, put, I would put her voice message and then I'd have a song, like, you know, theme from The Hunger. Or, <laughs> You know, I would always like to start with a voice message. I have no idea why. It's Wait, like it just sorry, seems otherworldly. I just want to clarify. So you yeah. scored your messages? Yes. Okay. Oh my God! I had a roommate. 
Going, when we were in the 80s, my roommate and I, Stephen Rogers, is now a very successful screenwriter. We used to, people used to call, you know, because we would make these yeah. elaborate, you know, 30-second uh, phone. You Outgoing know. messages. Yes, mm -hmm. and people would, you know, they were so good. We were like, oh, we should be optioned. They should be optioned by Hollywood. Anyway, enough of us. <laughs> We should talk to uh, to to Jennifer. Let's bring Jennifer in. Which is, uh, I mean, of course you know her from her Oscar-nominated role in uh, Bullets Over Broadway or films like Liar and Liar, the indie hit uh, Bound, uh, of course Bride of Chucky. But she's been on Broadway in The Women, Don't Dress for Dinner, most recently Grasses of a Thousand Colors. And I was always going to say. And of course, she is uh, uh, very famous for her World Series of Poker. So please welcome my friend, Jennifer Tilly, the always stylish. Hello, hello, hello. It's so nice, so nice to see you. I, I had no idea this was an on-camera show. When I've done podcasts before, it's like a guy in the basement with a cassette recorder. Yes. So you said, will you be on my podcast? And I was like, great. Yes. I rolled out of bed. <laughs> I well, drove here. <laughs> and what's so funny is that in doing mm -hmm. my research right. for this, I've been watching... <laughs> I've watched all of your talk show. I mean, YouTube is incredible. Have, have you gone back and watched any of your? No, but you know what? I started out with Johnny Carson, and he I was saw one it. of the best. It's crazy. You saw, I did a bunch of them. I was one of his favorite guests, and I was on so much. My ex-husband, Sam Simon, he got a little perturbed, and he said, do you want to be one of those people that's famous just for being Johnny Carson? He goes, you're a serious actress. Do you want to be the <laughs> matinee lady? And, you know, I was kind of like, um, yes, I, I just want to be anybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he would always call when the guests fell out, and he would say, "Oh, you know, can Jennifer come on and uh, you know do the show next Friday or whatever?" Yeah. And I, I would always say, because you know, and I think Sam gave me some good advice. But right. I love doing Johnny. He was the greatest, and he, you know, he was the first time I did it. The because I used to watch him all the time. Right. The first time I did it, I think it was. Um, uh, it's Bob Dolce, I think he was the one that brought me mm -hmm. on. And um, he said, you have to stick to the script no matter what. Right. Johnny gets bored sometimes, he'll try to go off the script, but you just lead him back to the script. Like, right. you know, me like a little 20 year old, like make Johnny go back to the script. And I was like, yes, that's a big responsibility. <laughs> I will try to stay to the script, sir. But I got there and um, he also said, because they were doing a pre-interview and I said, oh, I know how to talk. And he goes, no, no, no. I think it was my first talk show ever. Yeah. He goes, no, people underestimate Johnny and his how mm. powerful his force is. He said, when Johnny walks in the room, he said it's like a north wind blowing in. I remember he said a north wind. Uh -huh. And so then I got out there and I did get a little bit, I mean, I was having the best time. But I have to say, I really did get really, really off the script. And right. so then Bob Dolce was mad and he said, Jennifer went off the script. She can't be back on the show. And <laughs> then I went with a publicist later on mm. and they said, you'd be great with Johnny. And I said, oh, it's on Johnny once, but I got off the script and so I'm never going back. And they said, we think you'd be great. So they went around Bob Dolce and they went to Jim uh, McClory, who's the other talent agent. Mm -hmm. And he said, he looked at the show and he said, yes, I can see where she went off the script. She talked about this and she talked about that. You're not supposed to talk about those sorts of things on the show. Mm -hmm. And um, my publicist said, those are actually the things that were on the script that she was supposed to talk about. And then you watch it again. He said, where she was really funny is when yeah. she was off the script. So they brought me back and they said, Jennifer, you come on Johnny Carson anytime you want. And don't worry about the script. You don't have to yeah. do the script. You just talk about whatever you like. That, well, I watched all of them, 
And uh, and then we're going to get to my favorite question, of course, about movies and the mm -hmm. first movie. But I have to say, I, I, I have a feeling I'm going to have to rein you two in at some yes. point. Oh, but... the one, the one that you watched, though, the one that you watched, I watched was like the... I watched every one. I oh, where did you Craig... get them from? They're oh, you, oh you watched Craig Kilmer. The the only Johnny Carson that exists today was the last one I ever did, and that was like a really and Letterman. Yes, and I, I did. Yes, I did Letter. I used to do more Jay Leno though because I was on the uh, West yeah. Coast. Yes. Um, <clears throat> but I wa no. Oh my God, I watched Roseanne. Roseanne. <laughs> Roseanne really liked me. Somebody said that they said, in fact, I read it somewhere. They said, when they do the story of your life, who would you like to play you? And she said, Jennifer Tilly. Oh, that's funny. Which I would be, which is like a big compliment, would be totally awesome. But now I'm going to make a comment uh -huh. that all, maybe again, it's watching mm -hmm. things uh, out of context. But mm -hmm. in this day and age, you know, all the men were like ogling you and there were lots of touching going on. And, right. But it seems, but Mutual touching. Mutual fundling of knees. <laughs> yeah. But you would never do that now. It's a watching it. In I don't today's... know. Somebody said, Jennifer, whenever you're on Craig Kilburn, you're always touching his knee. And I used to do that to Johnny Carson, too. I and was just making a letterman. I touched his yes. knee also. Well, you know, the knee is an erogenous zone. It's well you, documented. You, in your interview, you say, I swore to myself I wouldn't come on and touch your knee, and now I'm touching your knee. Did I say that to David Letterman? Yes. Oh. I watched all of them. Hmm. Well, that's very interesting. It was fun. Well, because, you know, what's funny is back right. in the day mm. when you could do a talk show, you couldn't watch other people's performances to say right. you had to watch it live right like right. if you were going to be on you're like all right i better suddenly start watching this show if i so i know what i'm in for right yeah but, you i'm not always out i find out how much time i have because you know sometimes i get away from myself and i'll be like a third of the way through a story and they're like we're out of time so then i would well, be like okay condense 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 you know but it, it's difficult because with most of the talk show hosts uh they would do the pre-interview and we'd hardly ever do the questions that were right. on the script so yes. it was just sort of like a wild ride, like just hang on and, you know, eventually we'll get to the end of the destination, which was the end of my segment. Yes, I was, uh, as I wrote about, I was terrified. My first experience was Letterman and I was mm. absolutely. Letterman, very, very intimidating. Yeah, was, and I mm -hmm. had a script and he went off the script immediately. Uh -huh. And I, I, he was supposed to say, he was supposed to ask me about Cape Fear. He was supposed to say, you're in this movie Cape Fear, that must have been very tough for you doing those scenes mm -hmm. and I was supposed to say I have older brothers and I'm used to getting beaten up and he did not say that so I would they programmed they were so scared that uh, because Jacques Cousteau had bombed that uh -huh. they, and I wrote about this whole thing that Robert Morton and Frank Gannon who was my segment producer were like are you gonna be funny let's go over the script which I later <laughs> parodied right. when I did Gary Shandling oh that's really how they, funny I was like I'm, uh -huh. I'm funny don't worry you know but they so were you know, prompting me uh -huh. that I sat down and David Letterman said, so your, your parents must be really proud of you being in Cape Fear. And I was like, okay, I'm, I froze. I didn't, I didn't know how to get back on, on, uh, on script, but then I steered it. To I'm sure, I'm sure you were delightful. Yeah, I don't know about that. Anyway, let's. <laughs> I remember when I did Let It Ride with Carrie Gar, and you know, I always, I had, I used to have fan. I was a big fan of people who are good on talk shows. So yeah. I was a huge fan of Terry Gar and Tracy Ullman also. I used to before she did the Tracy Ullman show or anyone you were in the United States. Right. My friends and I used to run home and watch her on David Letterman, like waving her little dog around and everything. Yeah. And um, Terry said that she, her agent thought that she was on talk shows too much and that it was bad 
had for her career. And they were always telling her not to go on. And she was very bitter about David. She said he made her take that shower. She said, I told him right off the bat, I didn't want to take that shower. And then he's like, well, we built this whole shower for you to take a shower. And she said, he just kept badgering me and badgering me and badgering me. And you know, that's a very famous yeah. episode where she takes a shower on stage over the closing credits. Yeah. She said, he just he just forced me into it. <laughs> oh God, I thought, I, in watching all of those, this was my last thing, is that, you know, I grew up watching Merv Griffin. So mm. to me, that would have been like being Sheila Graham or there was Pamela Mason. I don't know if you remember her. But no. Okay, Pamela Mason was the, I wonder if she's on YouTube. She was the free-spirited wife of James Mason. Uh -huh. And she'd actually had a kid out of wedlock with um, somebody, I don't know, somebody else that was not James Mason. Uh, right. That's what free spirits do. <laughs> <laughs> but she used to come on, uh, you know, did you know, be and, and be on uh, Merv Griffin. I used to think I'd like that'd be I'd be happy with that as a career just to go on. Right. Something. They go, Oh Pamela, you're so delightful. Come I, back next I remember week. one one night I was watching and Terry Gar was on. This was before I was on Johnny Carson and she had just um I guess not she had just been on the Oscars and mm -hmm. you know she felt like she bombed she said she read the reviews the next day and somebody said if a brick could sing it would sound like Terry Gar wow. and then she said she was on her way over to Johnny Carson to tape the show and she said and then I stopped at a red light and there were people in the next car and they were pointing at me and I thought they were saying there's that girl who sings like a brick <laughs> and then she was just sad just say, and it was it was really like a lovely moment because I'd never seen a talk show where somebody just sits and is sad, and then Ed McMahon and Johnny Carson were sad along with her, and they Aww. were like, "Oh, you know, uh, you know, you, I'm sure it wasn't that bad." But I thought I want to be so comfortable on the talk show that I can go on and I don't even have to be funny. I can be sad for a minute, and they just go with it because it was such a real moment. But um, yeah, I love yeah, that Johnny. ended. Yeah. Uh, to me, that ended. Oh, I mean, you know what? I don't like how talk shows. I mean, I, I don't really go on them anymore. But I don't like talk shows now that they make people race on tricycles or jump on a trampoline when they're talking yeah. or hit each other with giant hands or squirt each other with squirt guns. I, I feel like it's sort of demeaning to the actor. It's like um, whatever happened to conversation. I know. It's like assuming that the actor is not going to have anything interesting to say, so they have to put him in a sumo suit and knock him down or something. Yeah. I I think yeah. that it's really sort of um i think it's like a bad direction for talk shows <laughs> i know that's why I, I mean i love the old you know want that watching the old dick Cavitts or the old Johnny tom Carson's. snyder oh my god tom snyder was the best he was a character he loved to talk i remember the first time i was on his he show great. he goes would you like some vodka and i was like vodka i'm on tv and he goes i go aren't you drinking coffee and he goes my coffee cup is full of vodka and it was straight up like vodka oh i was like God. oh okay yes i know they used to all like to drink during the right doing the tom tom center show okay i want to steer this car around because we have so much i have uh -huh. so much to get to all right my first professional interview mm -hmm. with you. uh we always start with our my first question is mm -hmm. do you remember the first movie you saw and who took you to see it the first movie I remember seeing is I was very young. I think I was a young, and it was um, Help, The Beatles' Help. Wow, that's a good And my one. stepdad took me to see it. He mm -hmm. was kind of a hippie. He was like an old hippie, mm -hmm. and he really idolized The Beatles. And um, I went there with all my sisters, and we had a big crush on Ringo Starr. Mm -hmm. And um, 
yeah, we just thought the Beatles were really cute. And I did think it would be really lovely to be a major celebrity and have people chasing you everywhere <laughs> and have a big ring that you couldn't get off. And, yeah. you know, I, I didn't really understand a lot of it because, okay, I, I'm trying to, I think I was six years old. Yeah. But I remember that was the first one. But that's a great, that's a great first movie. We all think. had a crush on Ringo because we're young. You know, I think you're the you, he's like unthreatening. And then, we all like George because George was the pretty one. Yeah. And um, no, Paul. Paul. Paul was the pretty one. And then yeah. some of us switched to George just to be contrarian because nobody liked George. Right. Nobody liked John when we were younger. And, uh, you know, jo George was quiet. So we liked yeah. him because he was quiet. And then when you get your big girl pants on, then you like John Lennon because, you know, he's yeah, the, yeah, the mad intellectual. You switch and, over. Yeah. I always liked Paul. I was always, I thought he was the cute one. Yeah, he was. You know, and then I was right. upset when they had that big hoax that Paul was dead. I believed it. Oh, my God. I remember mm -hmm. learning that from my, my brothers. Right. You know, my older brothers like what's happening you know you're trying to right. comprehend the world three-year-old brothers right sadness you know <laughs> i was sad when so my first sadness was when sunny and Cher broke up that was we like, always wanted to be Cher. We just thought she was so beautiful. Yeah, and we would have, I love that show. in our kitchen, we would have, uh, um, we'd grab the salt shaker, I would, and my sister would grab the pepper shaker, and we'd sing all Cher songs. Like, yeah. I know all the Cher songs by heart. And we'd flip our hair. You know, everybody yeah. had long, straight hair then. We'd just flip our hair. And I wrote banter for us, because I oh. accidentally spent a couple days on a cruise ship. My grandmother was cruising through Victoria and uh -huh. picked me up on her way down to Hammett. So I was on a cruise ship for a couple days. Days. And I came back and I said to my sister, there is the most greatest career you can have. It's to be a performer on a cruise ship. Wow. You're on the cruise ship. You eat yummy food all the time. That's There's true. There's movies. You don't have to pay for them. You just walk in. You sit. You watch them for free. Yeah. And you perform. And then when you're walking through the cruise ship, then people say hello to you because they know you're one of the performers. <laughs> so we got our cruise act going. The uh, Well, and so you're, this is what's always surprising. You're one of nine children. That's a lot of kids. Yes, a lot of them are stepbrothers and stepsisters and half-brothers oh. and half-sisters. Um, the people with... Uh, the same mother and father, there's mm -hmm. only four of us. Did you all live in the same house? Uh, yes, we did, for the most part. And kids, people were always coming and going. Like I said, my dad was, you know, his, my stepdad was kind of a crazy hippie. He was yeah. sort of like David Koresh. He was like that crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know how crazy hippies always think that they're Jesus? It's like, oh, ew, I, no, you mean not. Like, you mean like people yeah. who think they're Dennis Hopper? Uh, yeah. I really related to your book when I read it. I was like, oh, my God, it's my movie? childhood. And when you, I loved when your mom kept going, we're poor now. We're yeah. poor now. We have. We were so poor. We had one pair of shoes. We had oh. to take them off when we got home, so we didn't wear them out. Oh my God! <laughs> and then we shopped at the Salvation Army. My sister yeah. Meg lived in horror that she because we lived in a very small town that she would go to school and one of the popular girls would say, "That's." That's my blouse. My mother gave it to the Salvation Army so poor people would have something to wear. Yeah. In fact, at Easter, this is what our mom used to do, and she was very clever. We would get her Easter toys. We would play with them for, she thought children did, forgot very easily. Mm -hmm. We would get our Easter toys. We'd play for them for a few weeks, and mm -hmm. then my mom would collect them all up, and she would say, we are going to donate them so poor people can have some Easter toys to play with. <laughs> and they'd all go, we would be like, 
my purple bunny. Oh, no. And then, lo and behold, next year, the Easter bunny would deliver the same Easter toys. And, you know, when you're a child, you don't think, my mom is the Easter bunny. You You don't put two and two together. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, we're the poor people. <laughs> First of all, I thought the Easter Bunny, I mean, he has a big operation. He should have a bigger, a better system so the same yeah. people don't get the same toys two years in a row. <laughs> and I was like, well, he's kind of busy. So uh, Now, do you think that's because you always had, uh, you know, such nice clothes and mm-hmm. such a flair for clothing? Is that... Do you think it in some way that stems from not having clothes growing up? Probably, because I've always felt like clothes is really important. Like we moved every single year, uh-huh. and um, <laughs> I, and I, my sister goes, I don't want to say this about my mom, but my I said, oh, you know, we just really move a lot. Okay, I don't want to say it. <laughs> my sister says something. That I guess it's really rude. My mom wouldn't like. Oh. Okay. So. Um, when do you write a book about them? Yeah. Yeah. Then they'll really be happy. But um, well, our, the easy, the other explanation is our dad was a house painter, a stepdad, yeah. and when he painted post offices, and when he painted all the post office, all the buildings in, in town, we'd move. But my mom yeah. was a school teacher, so anyway, every year we had to start all over. Mm -hmm. and we just have one small small amount to buy some clothes for the whole school year Mm -hmm. so we would go the first day and we'd look around and we could clock instantly who the popular crowd was you could just tell by their air like how they moved and every school was different and so we go okay the popular kids are wearing earth shoes and really wide bell button bottoms. So you'd run out that day after school and you'd go to the store and you'd try to buy the outfit. Then yeah. the next day you would come to school and it would say to the popular kids, hey, I'm one, one of you. you. Right. Bell bottoms, earth shoes, you yeah. know. So that's what we would do. We would really try to fit in. Did it work? When, well, when you're a new kid, there's like a really small window of time where everyone's interested in the new girl Mm. and then it closes up it closes up about four days and everyone goes back to their cliques right so no they saw through my (laughs) they saw through our feeble ruse like i was hardly ever the popular kid and i think is that we were kind of like the weird dirty hippie kids that lived way out in the country and you know the other kids had more than one outfit one more than one groovy outfit right so um i think when i got to junior high school i moved um i think we had a slightly more money and we moved to uh canada Mm -hmm. and i I was kind of popular, I guess, in uh, junior and senior high school. Because then I developed this persona. Like, I, I looked around, I was like, they don't have an airhead. That's what, or ditzy. There's no ditzy character in this crowd oh that I God, wanted I to be Oh, my God, I love in. this. So I would be like, yeah. hi, I'm here. Where am I? <laughs> I don't know. And everyone would go, oh, Jennifer, you're such an airhead. It's so industrious of yeah. you. So you were uh, casting yourself. I was casting myself. Nice. I created this this person it was like well you know i'm not the prom queen i'm not the athlete i'm not the school president so it was like i was perfectly happy to be did you ever head did you ever not you know because i i created being the funny friend that was my thing Mm -hmm. but then it backfired because it was like you're the class clown and i I was like oh i don't want to be a clown like a clown (laughs) a clown did you ever read that book the rules it was back in the 80s it was about 90s it was about how to get a girl a boyfriend Uh and my friend shanti and i we 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 graduated to being the 
the funny person. Yeah. And I remember one sentence, and I remember Shanti reading out loud to me. She goes, they said, boys don't want that knee-slapping, guffawing girl. <laughs> they were basically <laughs> saying, don't be funny. Just, you know, oh, no. be, be quiet and be pretty. But, you yeah. know, I never thought of myself as a pretty person. I always thought of myself as, a, you know, a yeah. character actress, which is why I think I look back on it, and I probably could have been the lead. But I always, always say, I'm not the girl next door. I'm the girl next door to the girl next door. Yeah. I'd be like, I would always be like the wacky friend or the psycho or the weirdo. Like when I auditioned for The Breakfast Club, I auditioned for Ali Sheedy's part. Right. And that was sort of how I saw myself. Mm -hmm. So I always felt like I have to develop a personality because I'm not very attractive. So right. it's really weird that whatever you project, that's how people accept you as. Mm -hmm. When I got to Hollywood, I sort of developed this kind of self-deprecating humor mm -hmm. which i realize is not very good because people glom on to it and mm -hmm. they'll repeat the joke and they don't realize it started with you right. so when i did cedar chucky i played myself jennifer tilly international right. movie star but my friend don mancini who's the writer we worked on it together i was like oh my god can you please make me like this narcissistic self-involved diva yeah. and he's like done and done yeah <laughs> and so i was actually helping him write jokes about me and the studio rejected the script they said oh she's she's so unlikable <laughs> so he had to tone it down a little bit but i remember one of the jokes that we came up with is we made me myself sort of a failing actress and kind of bitter about all the people that you know had climbed up further on the heap mm -hmm. and i had a joke where i said about my career i go I'm an Oscar, look at me, I'm an Oscar nominee for Christ's sake and now I'm fucking a puppet. Oh boy, did the critics and everybody, it was sort of like Jennifer Tilly's career is on decline, now she's making love to a puppet. See, everybody just sort of picked that up and ran with yeah. it, like oh how the mighty have fallen. And so I felt like maybe that wasn't a really good thing to put out in the universe, the, the sort of picture of myself as sort of a failing bitter actress i mean right. i personally thought it was really funny but you know that's funny i mean that, that's the same thing with my talk show appearances i always thought of talk shows as sort of an improv not really a conversation i sort of thought of it as like what would i like to see if i was turning on the tv so right. i was kind of out there and then people always thought oh jennifer tilly she's on drugs or she's drunk or she's out of control right but the the talk show hosts knew that I was not out of control. That's like why they like to have me on the yeah. show. I give them a lot of stuff to bounce off. No, of. I mean, I was savvy enough just watching them mm -hmm. to know that it was an act. But right. it's so interesting. A guy could do that and they'd, they'd be, I mean, why? They would it, be like, oh, that Bill Murray. Right, or Bruce Willis. He jumped out of a cake. And if it was me, it would be like, oh my God, what's wrong with what's, her? Yeah. She's covered in frosting. <laughs> <laughs> was there... Um, now, were there other actresses that you, you know, like I, I had my obsession with Richard Dreyfuss. Mm -hmm. That was like, I did, when I saw Richard Dreyfuss, I was like, I glommed onto that persona and I became Richard Dreyfuss. Nobody knew that, but that's, I was Richard Dreyfuss mm -hmm. in The Goodbye Girl and it was so effective. That's so funny. I, when I, <clears throat> I remember in the 80s, I saw Sandra <laughs> Bernhardt at a club and um, she made this speech and the gays loved her. And I was like, I wanna be a smart ass gay icon. 
And it was really strange because about five years later, and it's partly because my best friend Paul, when Mm -hmm. I became a celebrity, he's like, Jennifer, let's go to the GLAAD Awards. Let's go to GLSEN. Let's go all these gay charities because it was like sort of he had entree to all of them. And then also with Bound and Bullets Over Broadway. And Mm -hmm. then now I used to go on these gay vacations with Paul and all his friends because Mm -hmm. gay men seem to have disposable income. They're always (laughs) going off to fabulous places. They're like, hey, let's go to Belize next week. And I'd yeah. be like, oh, I'm not doing anything. Okay. Like, all my friends now, at this point, they're all, everybody's married and they all have a job. So I used to travel around with all my gay friends for years and years and years. Was there a moment mm-hmm. in your uh, career where, so you've carved out this persona, this mm-hmm. is what I always found was right. interesting, mm-hmm. and where you've carved out a persona mm-hmm. and then you think, because um, like when we worked together in Bella Mafia. Right. Well, I started out being Marilyn Monroe. That was kind of what I was doing, and that's mm-hmm. what I did on Johnny Carson. You know, I sort of continued that airhead ditzy thing that worked so well for me in Mm -hmm. high school and got me in the popular crowd and Mm -hmm. so I think I was doing that for the first 10-15 years of my career. Right well and it worked Mm, because there was also in the 90s there was a a really available parts Mm -hmm. to play like that. Right. What I always thought was like it gets into the 2000s and suddenly you know they don't have like funny mobsters wives anymore yeah like that, that whole <clears throat> that whole genre of movies uh-huh. kind of disappeared a little bit but was there a point that you said okay well now i want to change up this persona and you know uh do um, you have those opportunities well i think that when you're sort of young and bodacious and all you have to do is jiggle mm-hmm. um then you it's you can really sort of just float around and you know and and, and be vacant i think that that there's something very adorable about that mm-hmm. but then i think when you get to be in your 30s mm-hmm. number one they don't write those kind of parts for older women and number two they stop being interesting like a, after like a decade of playing sort of the floaty um sort of marilyn character mm-hmm. i just really wanted to play characters that had more bite with right. it but it is like when you said at the beginning of the show let's turn this car around it is very difficult to turn that car around but you know nobody ever wants to be an aging sex symbol and so i remember um i started like really like inbound i didn't want to play violet i really really went after corky mm-hmm. who's like sort of the dykey badass that's the person i mean and the wachowskis were really annoyed they said everybody wants to play corky violet's a better part you yeah. know and i actually said at one point if you're gonna cast me as corky i don't want to do it uh, as violet i don't want to do it i only want to play corky right um but <clears throat> Yeah, I think that the character, the good thing is, as you get older, the characters become a lot richer and more complex, especially Mm -hmm. in theater. Like, all the really good characters are the older characters, because as you become an older actress, you know, you know a lot more about life. But the bad part is they become very, very few and far between, because Hollywood is like a giant machine. Mm -hmm. Studios don't want to make movies about older women that are very wise and have evolved. They just look up on the screen and they see they're like wrinkles. So it's really hard. I know Russell Crowe once said, oh, the women, they're saying that there's no parts. They just don't want to play those older women parts. I know everybody points at like the four women that are working. They're like, look at Dame Judi Dench. Look at Helen Mirren. Right. Look at um, Meryl Streep. Well, 
We would love to play the parts that they play, but we can't yeah. because they're getting them. So there are older actresses that I would love to play Helen Mirren's part or Judy Dench's part. Like now, um, mm-hmm. my uh, the person that I really uh, liked for a while was um, Frances McDormand. Like I wanted right. to play Frances McDormand type parts and play characters that had mm-hmm. um, sort of a heft to them, like the characters that she played. Yeah, but I- it's very very difficult now at this point. Um, everyone said, oh, when you turn forty, you know, your career will slow down and. It Kinda didn't, but then, sort of, in my mid forties, late forties, all of a sudden there was no more. And did you think of uh, that's like when I started doing Mm. more writing? Because I I just saw that the the independent film movement drop, you know, dropped apart. All the actresses start doing the end. uh, This is how I used to say, they the actresses used to do the A movies, and you know the studios aren't making as many major motion pictures anymore. And then the up-and-coming actresses would do the independent films. Right. And then, you know, and then if you're really up-and-coming, you do, like, sort of the things that nobody wanted to do. Now the major motion picture stars are doing all the independent films because that's where all the Oscars are. So everyone wants to, their Monsters Ball, their Boys Don't Cry. But they used to leave those parts for... Yes, Us, for you and me. Yes, <laughs> and Hillary Swank. Oh, well, Hillary Swank became a star off of Boys Don't Cry. Yeah. Um, but now, what they want actresses to do like sort of the B actresses that used to do the independent film, mm-hmm. they want us to do like reality shows. I cannot tell you how many reality shows I get offered, and I think that's sort of like my take on the reality shows is similar to my take on the talk shows is basically they want to put you in a situation where you're really bad at something yes, <laughs> like like a social true. experiment like at the apprentice mm-hmm. where everyone's yelling at you because you can't raise enough money or dancing with the stars where you're under so much stress because you're a horrible dancer and you know your dance partner is going to yeah. get fired when you get fired or or even like some actresses on the real housewives i get offered so many reality shows and i love to watch him and you know I think it's great for the people that do them, but I feel myself like I'm an actress. I don't feel like I I don't really want to be a personality. I want to act or not act. And so, you know, I do things that are interesting to me. I play a lot of poker. Um, I think about writing, but... I'm so I'm so impressed with you and your amazing book that you wrote. And, you know, of course, you inspired me to think about it. (laughs) Oh, I think you'd make a great book. I mean, first of all, just going... You know, and then I don't want to get too off track because mm-hmm. I want to talk about some of my uh, favorite movies. Of course, I discovered you in uh-huh. the fabulous Baker Boys. Right. Now he actually wrote that. This is is this true that he wrote the part for you? That's what they say. My agent <laughs> called him up and she, he goes, oh, I see you have a part. He pitched me for the Michelle Pfeiffer character, uh-huh. which I think was like kind of ludicrous. And he was like, oh, no, Michelle Pfeiffer is playing the Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer part. Right. And he said that he had seen me in, um, what was it? Oh, Baby with the Bathwater. He wrote this part for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the girl, the terrible singer that sings yeah. the Candyman. And I remember after it came out, um, I was going up the escalator and somebody said to me, he was part of a focus group, and he said, we helped get your scene, your other scene put back in. And I said, what? Like, it never occurred to me that your parts would be cut out of a movie. He said, originally, when he saw it, there was just the original audition scene where I sing in The Candyman. Right. And the scene where he comes back later on and I'm a waitress and, yeah. you know, I want to sleep with him. He said, that wasn't in the movie. But everybody said, we want to see more Jennifer Tilly. So they put it back in. That's so funny. I've had that same experience uh-huh. where I've seen. Thank my- God for focus groups. <laughs> <laughs> we want that girl to come out and sing another you song. You were the best thing in that movie. 
That's uh, what they always that's say. That's so great. And so was that? So that's when you got to be known. And then after that, how much longer after that was then Let It Ride? And then I was known as a really terrible singer. And I have to say, so it's funny. very difficult to sing. Because I just thought, oh, I'll just sing against the beats. And I'll sing really out of tune. Right. And, you know, so I sang in a really sort of uh, unpredictable way. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, okay, great, we got it. And they recorded it. And then I had to replicate it, like, for about 18 takes. But I didn't really know what I did because I was doing really irrational singing. So it was right. very, it was way more difficult than actually singing well. Yeah, that, right. that's true. That's so let it ride. I always had like this sense that I was very, very important, and I don't know why. I went to a read through of Let mm-hmm. It Ride, and the read through went really well. Mm-hmm. And um, were you in the movie yet, or had you been? I cast? hadn't been in the movie. They were like, okay. Jennifer, do you want to come to a read through of this uh, play? This it's another thing they used to do that they don't do anymore. So you'd actually have a shot at like. Yeah, because you're reading the whole thing, and you're reading with other actors. You're not reading with the right. casting director in front of <laughs> a camera. Yeah, and you know, you so. Can shine. I did so well, and everybody's laughing and laughing. <clears throat> and then they said, we want you to come in an audition. And I, I am not coming in auditioning. <laughs> They're like, what What do you mean you're not? It's like a major motion picture. And I said, I already read the whole thing. It was basically fear. But yeah. I just pulled the, I was like, I'm in the, they were like, they just want to see you again. And I said, they want to see me because they're looking for a reason not to cast me. I said, yeah. I'm not coming in. I refuse to come in. And then finally they go, okay, well, David Geiler and the director, Joe Pitka, they just want to have lunch with you. Mm-hmm. And and you know, and then maybe they'll make you an offer. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna have lunch, but I am not going to read again. So I went in and I, we had lunch. It was at this very famous place. It's not there anymore. On Sunset Boulevard, that round place, the La Dome. Oh, La Dome. Yes. yes. And Great. I remember Joe Pitka was telling his story and you know, I was I was poor. He was telling a story about how he was searching all over France for this really, really rare bottle of wine, and he finally <laughs> found it. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was fascinated in his story. And then afterwards, at the end of the um, lunch, he said, I wanted you to come in again because I thought you were too good to be true. So I just wanted to see you read it again just to see, you know. If I was, and I would never uh, hold, I knew I knew that I'd been right, that I was never going to hold up to the memory of how fabulous I was. Yeah. And so they gave me the part, and um, but the movie they just sort of threw it out there. It's now it's a cult movie. It was only in the theaters for about a week because what happened is the studio head change, and when the studio mm-hmm. head changes, they try to sabotage everything that was greenlit by the previous studio head. Right. But it's a great mm-hmm. film. Very, uh, I discovered it on, I think, on VHS. But mm-hmm. I became kind of obsessed with it. I just, I love that film, and I loved making it. And Joe Picca and um, and uh, Richard Dreyfus were so wonderful to me. And there was a scene where my character so excited she jumps up and down, and her breasts pop out of her dress. And I was really stressed out about it. But my agent said that you have, they won't let you do it unless you agree to do that scene. He said uh-huh. the studio wouldn't. Right. And then I remember one day Joe Pitka goes, and 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 um, Richard got together. They go, Jennifer, because I was so stressed out, I'd never done nudity. Mm. They said, Jennifer, we're not going to shoot that. And I go, you're not? He goes, I'm never putting that in my movie. He said, the studio wanted it, but why should I just give them something to look at in the dailies? He says, we're right. not going to shoot it. We, we, we're we not going to put you through that. And I just remember thinking that that was really lovely. Yeah. But they did do some reshoots because apparently... 
the focus groups, and mm -hmm. this is where I would love to see the original version. Mm -hmm. There's this scene where Richard Dreyfuss is so excited about being a winner that he sweeps my character off her feet and gives her this wonderful kiss. Mm -hmm. And um, apparently the focus group thought he might have an affair with my character after the movie was over. Oh. And the studio's like, oh, we can't have that. You know, yeah. Richard Dreyfuss has to be a fine, upstanding family man. So we went back and reshot that. Mm -hmm. And I propositioned him. I said, um, I thought I want to sleep with you because I think you're kind of funny, that's all. And he looks me right in the eye and he goes, I'm sorry, Vicky, that will never happen. You see? I'm in love with my wife. <laughs> That's how I was a bit on the nose, but they just wanted to put that question to rest just in the audience's mind, just to make sure. Just that, to make sure. Just to make sure. He was. Did you? What you, did you learn? Uh, uh, Joe Pitka didn't do too many movies. He was sort of famous for doing television commercials. Yeah. But uh, did, did you learn any comedy? I mean, I, I as I have said, I was well, a, Richard is wonderful. His comic timing. Mm -hmm. His is, comic timing is great. When you're working with people that have good comic timing. It really ups your game. Yeah. And I was working with him and Alan Garfield and Terry Gar. Like, it was just the most wonderful cast. Robbie David Cole. Johansson. Yes, all good people. This is the thing, because I was always such a goody two-shoes. Like, um, <clears throat> when my ex-husband was producing the, I think, some, some TV show. Mm -hmm. And in rehearsal, we went to go into the stands, and I had just bought a Coca-Cola. And just before we were in the stands, I went to put it down on the floor. And he goes, what are you doing? And I pointed at a sign that said, no food or drink in the stands. And he goes, that sign isn't for us. And the idea that a sign, a very official looking sign, did not apply to me was so alien to me. I was like, yeah. it's not. So at the end of the movie, I remember the, they're yelling through a bull, bullhorn. They're like, everyone wants to see how the race ends up. Everybody's looking towards the finish line. Mm -hmm. And David Johansson said, not us. And I said, what, not us? And he goes, no, we're, we're, we really like each other. We don't care anymore how it ends up. And I, that was like, I would never thought to do if I wasn't with David Johansson. I would have just done what the guy was telling the extras right. to, to be looking towards the finish line. And he goes, no, we're really happy we found each other. Mm -hmm. So at the end, you know, I was looking at the finish line and we're like getting to know each other, which I think is much better. Yeah. Because we stand out from the crowd. <laughs> so you were doing, so, so, and then meeting, uh, so it, what, had you been married yet? And were you married to Sam I Simon? I was married to Sam Simon then, yes. Sam taught me a lot about comedy. And you were doing um, television too, right? Where, yeah. Because you had a guest. I, of the first, uh, one of the first, where I met Sam was a show called Shaping Up. And I remember he said to me, he gave me a lot of good advice, mm -hmm. but he said, um, Jennifer, you're, and I've, I've always been a people pleaser. Your job is not to make it easy for people. And I was mm -hmm. like, what? And he goes, he goes, look at Shelley Long. He goes, everybody hates Shelley Long. He said, but we, she delivers. They just yeah. cast her over and over again. And he goes, you know why she makes it difficult? Because if somebody says, go stand there, and it doesn't feel right for her, mm. she'll say, I would rather I would rather sit here. Or I would mm -hmm. rather stand there. He said, it's really easy to be the person that's like, you know, those people that say acting's not hard, you just hit your marks and say your lines. He goes, it's very easy to be that person where mm -hmm. someone says, do that. But he says, your job is to fight for your character and fight for what you think is right. And maybe some people are not going to like you because it's so much easier to, you know, shuffle right. people around if somebody's not saying, like, wait a minute, I don't mm -hmm. think my character would sit with that person because they hate him, he said, but that's your job. And I remember thinking that that was like an interesting bit of advice he gave me. Yeah, I also think that was an era where you could really 
you have, you know, do, do the actors need a moment? You know, now it's like, oh, we're, we're, can we hurry this up? We've right, got, right. We've got, we've got lunch. So, so, so uh -huh. you're auditioning this. Now, did, did you audition for To Die For? I seem to recall that you told I did an audition for your part, and I came in, and this is actually how, how I got um, Bullets Over Broadway, uh -huh. is just to jump ahead, is that he didn't give us a script ahead of time, and then he gave me like 10 pages to look at, mm -hmm. and I went out and I looked at him and then I came back in, but sometimes I go off the page because there's so much, it was very yeah. dense. And then I would just sort of improvise until I found my place. Right. So I went in and um, the writer, Buck Henry. Buck Henry. And, you know, of course, I'm a huge Buck Henry oh. fan. Very intimidated. It was one of the best scripts that I read in a very, very long time. And I loved the part. And I went in and I did get off the page a little bit. And mm -hmm. I did do some ad-libbing. And I felt like he was not happy about that. Um, you know, but it could have just been me projecting. But I felt like Buck, Buck Henry, I mean, he's like a brilliant writer. And he's yeah. like... Who is this girl that's coming in and thinks that her words are better than my words? Yes. But I, I just, at the end of my reading, I was kind of like, huh, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go now. <laughs> that was a scary, that was a scary room. Right, right. I was like a big, I laughed at that. Well, I, I, that was when I cried in front of Roddy McDowell because I said, there's no way. I said, there were so many important people. Uh -huh. I, I swear to God, I think a hundred people actresses read for that right part. right and uh and I who else read for i always love to hear who else was up for uh, oh my god part. it was ever it was Lara i can't Flynn Boyle. imagine was... anybody besides you in that part by the way i don't think anybody can you were so brilliant in that i you know Laura Flynn Boyle and who else when i get a part i always go who else is up for Laura, this part and i try uh, to find out Laura San Giacomo was there Mar oh. marissa tomei it was oh everybody. my god that's like, like such a 90s sometimes you'll hear i'll be looking at old movies and you look at the cast genie triple horn Yes, Gene Triplehorn. They're all the people. Like when <laughs> Gene I in Undershot, the, in the sure. 80s, I used to be up against Jenny Wright all the time. Remember Jenny Wright? Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, you know, in the 90s, I was up against, before they became famous, it was always Virginia Madsen, uh, Meg Ryan, Demi Moore, um, and some other people that I would always be up against. Yeah. Oh, what's your name? The Mary Jim Carrey, Lauren Holly. I used to be up against yes, her a lot. Yes, Lauren Holly would get things. And then yeah. sometimes I'd be in the Funny Voice Club. Like, oddly enough, sometimes I would be up against, um, <laughs> you know, the, the one that was um, Mary Talatka. What's her name? Uh, I can't think, but I was. Yeah, I know what the people you mean. with the funny voice, and then there was another actress that was twenty years older than me that yes. also had a funny voice, and I would be like, "Oh, okay, um, all right, I, I, I kind of see." I, I was in the this. well, you know. Then that became the uh, I was up against uh, routinely. Then Vivica Fox. It was like we're either going to go so we're either, we're yes. either going to go black or we're going to go with Ileana Douglas. That well, was always my like problem. My, now is like I'm, I get sent out for grandmothers, and you know my sister's a grandmother. She's yeah. younger than me. I'm totally Totally the right age to play grandmothers, but then they're like, we don't really see her as a grandmother. It's I'm like, see me as something. See me as something. Yeah. Or make. Uh, well, you'd be great to play. Uh, I always ask to play the guy's part because that's usually. Oh. I don't mind. You know, the like the 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 Stephen Root part mm -hmm. would it would could easily transfer for mm. for being you because the usually it's either going to be the wife or the. I'm trying to think if I've ever played a part that was written initially meant for a guy, and I think um, I think no, I was not. Yeah. 
I, I've auditioned for many, uh-huh. which is funny. And I, I once auditioned, Richard Lewis and I once auditioned for the same exact part. I was up for a guy's part. I went in and auditioned for Jar Jar Binks. Uh-huh. And they were really into me because they weren't sure if it was, it was a computer-generated character in Star yes. Wars. And they weren't sure if they were going to go female or male. <laughs> and the character talked in a sort of a patois. So sort of like, I am Jar Jar Binks. I am so I did it and they, they were like oh my god we love this we're sending it to George Lucas off at Skywalker Ranch yeah. so I was one of the few people they sent off to that and then they decided to go with the African American guy and yes. then I remember my I saw it with Sam and he's like oh it's a step and fetch it. <laughs> He's like, this is such a stereotype. They didn't think of that. So I think it was like really funny that I don't think they intended it that way, but people yeah. saw it that way because the character was doing, you know, sort of an urban, you know, ebonic sort yes. of dialect. And remember, there was a big controversy that that character was racist. I know. But it wasn't intended that way. It wasn't no. written that way. And at I all. worked with that actor too. It was very nice. Very yeah, he's, nice guy. he was really funny. Um, Okay, so let's get to um, Bullets Over Broadway, Mm -hmm. and how did that come about? Did you... Okay, Sam, I was married to Sam at the time, Mm -hmm. and Sam always has these ideas. He said, Jennifer, you should be in a Woody Allen movie, like Mm -hmm. like I had thought of it, like you could just reach out and grab it. Right. And I go, okay. And he goes, all the women in Woody Allen movies get Oscar nominations. So it sort of cemented in my mind, be in a Woody Allen movie, get an Oscar nomination. Mm -hmm. So I called my agent, and she said... Woody only uses people he knows in New York actors. He doesn't really use Hollywood people. Now he mm-hmm. uses big stars. But back then, they said only New York actors. So right. I was like, right. Go to New York, be in a play, get in a Woody Allen film, get an Oscar nomination. So I went to New York, and I was in a play. And then my agent sent my reel over to Woody Allen saying, um, you know, maybe you can come see Jennifer in this play. Maybe I'll put her in the new movie. And... Uh, he didn't see the play, but he loved my reel, and so he had me come in. So in a weird sort of way, going to New York sort of set yeah. in motion a series of events that I went in and auditioned for the movie. And I went on in, and I was sitting next to Chas Palminteri, mm-hmm. and I kind of knew him a little bit from uh, Joey Pantoliano. And I said, have you ever auditioned for Woody before? And he said, no, but from what I hear, sometimes they're the shortest auditions on record. He'll just look at you, and if he doesn't think you're right, he'll just say, oh, thanks for coming in. But if he thinks you're right, he'll say, will you read for me? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, ooh, I, I, hope he, I hope he says, will you read for me? And, of course, he did. And um, then when I finished, I felt like, because I'd gone off the page a little bit and mm-hmm. scrambled, and I said, do you want me to read again? And he said, um, no, I think we've seen everything we need to see and of course I took that as a tremendous negative yeah and then I didn't have to go in at all again no screen test like Mm -hmm. for the doors I think audition and screen test like I don't know sound it seemed like 12 13 times right and um so yeah so then I got the part I heard it was in Hollywood Reporter it said it was between me and Cindy Lauper and that was before I got the part it said it's between me and Cindy Lauper. And they called up my agent. They said, did Jennifer leak this to the Hollywood Reporter? And I said, I didn't even know they were still considering me, let yeah. alone know that Cindy Lauper is the running, in the running for my part. Right. So, you know, everybody it was very, very secretive and, you know. And what it, and he's notorious for uh, not get, sort of giving direction. He loved, okay, he loved to... How much time do we have? This is a longish story. Yeah, we've got time. We have time. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
Number one. You're going to have to come back. Right. For, yeah, okay. that's, that's the deal. You're yeah. just going to have to come back. Number one, he really, <laughs> he loved. female sexy. He loved when I ad-libbed. There were some actors that he loved. You could say whatever you want. So right. my, I was one of them. Chaz Palminteri was one of them. John right. Cusack was one of them. Because he likes, he puts the camera on wheels. So mm-hmm. it's the most wonderful way of working because you never have to do the same take twice. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you never have to replicate what you did. Right. He, he hardly ever does. I mean, he only did, um two cover shots he did a single on the housekeeper coming in twice Mm -hmm. but you know usually he'll just sort of roll around and just catch action as it happens so you know no matter what happens if a chandelier falls to the ground nobody ever cuts you just deal with whatever is happening right he likes when it's messy likes when people overlap and so but he never ever tells you what he wants Mm -hmm. so he'll just say um can you do it again and uh, you'll say, oh, should I do a little? He'll say, just do it again. So you didn't really know. Mm-hmm. And everybody was very nervous about being fired. And um, Rightly so, because he right. fires everybody. He, he, fire, he fires people a lot. It's very, very, very notorious. In fact, when yeah. I finished the movie, they said, we're going to need Jennifer in the month of March for reshoots for about two weeks. And the March kind of came and went. And I went, what about the reshoots? What about the reshoots? And they said, we did them without her. And I was like, oh, my God. Did they replace me? But yeah. they hadn't replaced me. But you have to guess who you are with the ad-libbing because he, there are other people he did not want to ad-lib at all. So the guy, Joe Vitarelli, who played my um, who played my boyfriend, right. he looked around and he saw everybody padding their parts by right, coming right. up with dialogue. So he, I remember this one scene, he came up to me and he goes, Jennifer, Jennifer, in this scene, when you say Hamlet, I'm going to say, who is Hamlet? And I'm going to say it like that. Who is Hamlet? He mm. said, and then you say, not anybody I know. And then I'll say, does he live around here? And then you'll say, yeah, yeah, get out of here. And then whatever. He did a whole scene. And I knew what he wasn't going to like it. But, right. you know, he's older than me and everything. So we did it. And then Woody came running up to me because he'll never tell somebody when he doesn't like him. He just replaces him. Somebody was replaced during our movie. Um, so he came running up to me. He goes, Jennifer, can you do me a favor? Can you push Joe out the door earlier before he has a chance to do his stupid ad libs? <laughs> so I was pushing and pushing, and he was yeah. trying not to. He was holding on to the door. I couldn't get him out the door. He's a big guy. And then he came up to me after that, and he goes, Jennifer, when you said uh, you forgot your lines, when I say who is ha- oh I, before that he said don't encourage him. He says don't right. answer him. When he says who is Hamlet, don't answer him. Don't encourage him. He goes you forgot your line. I say who is Hamlet, and you say, and I go oh he didn't want me to say anything else. So then he started doing the lines himself. Yeah. He just went who is Hamlet? Does he live around here? I'll break his kneecaps. He was, just said all the... So those lines are actually still in the movie. Because yeah. I couldn't push him out the door. And Woody <laughs> didn't have the heart to tell him not to say it. The uh, And so does Woody hang out on the set afterward? I, you know, uh, no, he... he's very, very taciturn. In fact... When I finished doing the movie, because he never talked to me by name, he never said Jennifer, he'd always say, Olive, can you move there? Or Mm. Olive, oh, this is a good time for you to light up a cigarette, Olive. And I honestly thought, this is really strange, but I thought outside of costume, he wouldn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to hear him play with his little band, so I asked his assistant if I could get some tickets. And I was, this sounds really strange, but I was very astonished. When he came over to my table at the end, mm. and he goes, Jennifer, thank you for coming. He said, thank you for coming. I have to run now. My fans are chasing me. And I was like, 
oh my God, Woody knows who I am. I thought out of costume he would not know who I was. Yeah. Which I don't know why, because I still had the red hair. I wasn't a wig. It was right. like, you know, my own hair. But um, um, Diane, we, we, would, we would stand around, myself and Chaz and John Cusack, and we'd see her sort of joking around with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we'd say, how can you think of anything to talk to him about? And she goes, well, my first few movies, I could think of, I was petrified of him she said but you know now i've done a few with him so now we make a little chit chat so <laughs> he's very intimidating i got yes i yes I, once i walked onto the set and i thought something was wrong it was so quiet nobody was moving it was like a painting and i go what's going on and so it goes shh woody is looking through the lens of the camera <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh my God, he has everybody so well trained. Yes, I, I, the couple times I've been on the set, um, which of course I was cut from uh, one of his movies, but mm-hmm. I replaced someone, so I wasn't fired. Oh, really? I, somebody was fired. Mm-hmm. Actually, two people were fired. Who was fired? Um, Emily Lloyd mm-hmm. was fired and replaced with Juliette Lewis. Oh, right, and, I remember that, because I did a movie with Emily Lloyd around that time. Yeah, yeah. and I mm-hmm. don't know who played my part, but it was literally... I got this call come in on the and it was the very last day of mm-hmm. shooting right to be Liam Neeson's girlfriend and uh-huh. I was thrilled and we just did this one thing and it was very it was a lot of improv and they somebody I remember again mm-hmm. he didn't speak to me at all he read the New York Post uh-huh. while, I did, <laughs> while I did the lines I was like, same thing I kept trying to be like you know my boyfriend's smart and Scorsese oh okay he's not interested <laughs> at all he wasn't interested at all and then I went to the premiere and I was cut from the film and nobody told me I was I was really that's upset. what somebody said to me they said uh Julia Taylor his casting yes. director she tries to find out which he he fires somebody she's like Woody you should tell them because you you know you're the director it's a courtesy but she said several times actors have showed up to the premiere with their family in tow only to see somebody else on screen in their costume saying their lines so she's like she's like you really should tell them but then she tries to find out if he hasn't told them so she can let them know before the movie comes out you know before they've gone around doing press for the movie so um yes um i i have a really good story about people someone being fired but i don't want to I don't want to tell you on the air because the person that was um, so you went to the Oscars just yes. to talk about over right. snacks. Yeah, over yes. snacks. <laughs> um, I have to briefly get to you. You you get to you're nominated for an Oscar, which mm-hmm. just must have been like over the moon. Did you have any inkling? It was you? astonishing because you know they always have the whole pre-Oscar circus, which lasts about two months, and they have the SAG Awards and the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice, and I wasn't nominated for any, but I did not realize. I was very, very naive. You have to be submitted for the Golden Globes, either by the studio or your agent mm-hmm. or a publicist. I don't know where my publicist didn't know this, or the SAG Awards. And well, people didn't really campaign then. Yes, they right. all kind of came and went, and nobody had mentioned me. But the Oscars, you're eligible. All you have to do is be in a movie during Oscar season. You're eligible. Right. And the studio is very they're pushing Diane Weist in the supporting actress category, mm-hmm. which I personally think is a little unfair because she was the leading lady. She's yes. the leading lady in the play, within the la- play. Mm-hmm. And I say the leading lady has about, you know, um, but they, they said to me, uh, or to my publicist, they said, Woody really thinks she can win in the supporting actress category. It's like, Woody doesn't care about awards. Yeah. So they put her in the supporting actress category and they didn't, pre- um, they didn't 
promote me at all. And so I promoted myself mm -hmm. because I was like, um, you know, Gillian loved having me on. And he goes, uh, Jennifer, uh, does, does Jennifer want to come on and promote her movie for, you know, Oscar campaigning? Mm -hmm. And I said, I'll come on, but only if he uses the phrase Oscar buzz in his introduction. <laughs> and I remember standing in the wings and he goes, our next guest has Oscar buzz surrounding her performance. Oh. And I was all smug and I thought, she does now. <laughs> I stepped <laughs> out there. So I just did all these talk shows. I took out my own ads and it's Lucky Mirror Max is so cheap because their ads were black and white. And I remember it's like... $800 for a black and white uh, mm -hmm. um, ad in Friday in the Hollywood Reporter mm -hmm. and it was like I think 3000 for color which I couldn't afford but their ads were all black and white yeah. so I just put up black and white pictures of me and Woody there's one picture that I have where Woody is laughing at something I say like isn't she delightful <laughs> and then I slapped the Miramax logo in the corner and I put like some of my ads on my um, quotes on the bottom and nobody was more surprised than my publicist on Oscar morning when I got not nominated I woke her up I got, I got nominated for Oscar I got nominated for Oscar and she goes are you sure oh wow <laughs> and I go yes yes and she said did Dick call you that was the head of the agency and I say because mm. he was down there watching you know for his clients that he thought was going to get nominated and then I said uh, yes he called me and she said well I guess if Dick called you I guess it must be true so then the next day Dick the head of the agency was very very um, smart guy yeah Dick Gutman, very, very, very good with publicity. He sat me down. He goes, Jennifer, there's two reasons to do publicity when you get an Oscar nomination. He goes, the first is so you'll win the Oscar. And let's face it, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and he goes, and Great. the second is that nobody ever forgets that you're nominated. He said, I think we should aim for the second. And that's because Diane Weiss had won every single award up until then. Mm. And after I started, got nominated, Actually, Miramax was not happy because they were worried I was going to split the vote. Then mm. they made Diane. You know, she's so not anti non-Hollywood. Then mm -hmm. I saw poor Diane, like, making the rounds. Like, why do I really have to do this? Yeah. Um, but it was it was crazy. And then my publicist said, you have to get there really early because if you get there later, the real stars are going to be there, so nobody's going to want to talk to you. And I remember... Like, taking all the joy out of it. Wow. No, she's just very realistic. I remember she's really annoyed because he sent a white limo, and she's like, I asked for a black limo and I go well nobody's gonna think it's actually my limo it's not <laughs> like I don't think people are gonna see me rolling up yeah. so I get there and all the paparazzi knew me because I was such a fame whore I was like uh, I would show up to opening up an envelope in my outfits yeah. and my poses and everything and I showed up and they were laughing at me they go Jennifer if you showed up any earlier you could have helped us set up the cameras <laughs> oh. I remember she, my publicist was pushing out me out the door I still had curlers in my hair my hair person was running after me trying to pull the curlers out of my air. She's like, go, go, go. We're already <laughs> 10 minutes past the time you're supposed to leave. So I went all the way. There's a picture of me going down the red carpet. My train is out behind me like a peacock. There's nobody there. There's like just a couple of, you know, publicists, people yeah. with walkie-talkies and stuff. And I'm like... Oh, and I went I went down the line, I talked to everybody, yeah. and everyone in their limos, I remember they, they were like, oh, we saw you on the limo while we were coming up when they were all stuck in traffic. Because I was like, you know, I was like somebody from, you know, the fifth season of Baywatch going right. to the Oscars. That's basically, at that point, the only person there is like me and Edie Williams. <laughs> so like, everybody's really happy to talk to me. And then my sister showed up with my mom and my other sisters, and, you know, 
I had a little bit of sibling rivalry. I wasn't really happy that my entire family was coming to the Oscars. But then it was like, your sister's here. So then I ran back to say hi. And then it was like, yeah. let's take a picture of you with your family. And so actually, it was because, you know, my sister Meg Tilly was a very big star before I was. And she was nominated before I was. Yes. So I'm like, I'm my own person. I'm not Meg Tilly's sister anymore. And then the picture that ran everywhere was me on the red carpet with my sister Meg Tilly and all my family. Like, oh, look, Meg Tilly's sister was nominated. Look at her family so that was like a funny thing so i went through the um the press line twice because first i went through and got my picture taken by myself with and then i got my picture taken with my whole family so i really did squeeze every last little bit of juice out of my oscar nomination that's true the uh and so since we're running out of time what i know my you, fault that's uh, okay you have to come back okay so the i'm gonna end with are you watching feud at all do you would you can you ever imagine could you do a feud no, I, I had I had my agent my agent call up and say, you know, for the next season you should do Olivia de Havilland and Joan Fontaine because yeah. they were sisters. They were both Oscar nominated and they hated each other. Yeah, my Meg and I love each other. We're like in such. But a it'd good, be fun. Yeah, but it would be really fun. Like Meg's always wanted to work with me. Yeah, Meg Meg and Becky always loved when we were growing up. Everyone called us triplets. They always wanted to like they. I'd go buy a dress, they'd run out and buy the same dress. Mm -hmm. And then when I'd put it on, they would put their dress on. Like, we're triplets, we're triplets. And I'd look at them, I'd turn around, I'd go right back in the room and change. Because <laughs> I never wanted to be triplets. But Meg always, she wanted to, at times she wanted to do a funny sitcom with her and me. I was like, oh my God, that would be my worst nightmare. It's like, um, but she's always, she's always wanted to work with me. Yeah. And now I'm at a place where I feel like secure in my own career and everything. Yes. That I think it would be really amazing to work with her. And she's, you know, a brilliant actress. Do did you ever do? I was thinking as I was doing your research. Mm -hmm. and, uh, forgive me, this is if this has already been done. Uh -huh. But as a comedy sketch, if if you did her parts like Agnes of God. Oh my and, God! I could never do that. And then she did Bullets Over Bread, but as a sketch. Like I don't know. It'd be funny, uh, is it? No. What would, what would Agnes of God be like? <laughs> 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 And then have her do the Earth Mother version. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that's that. You have some crazy ideas, Ileana. Well, I think of funny. I think of funny things. But I did think of feud. What's going on with the living room show? Are you haven't done it for a while because you've been doing the book readings and everything? I've been right? doing the book readings and working on TCM and my get, get, trying to get my own movie off the ground. We were do we do this living room show. It was so much the fun. Live it was living like room show. you have it in somebody's living room. And it would yeah, be like magic acts show. and comedy and singing it was just like so fun we did you keep I, you keep threatening to bring back a little no i am mm -hmm. i'm gonna bring it back we, we i was doing so many of uh -huh. of them uh -huh. and it, you know and it's a great charity called adopt the arts and mm -hmm. uh you know we had a lot of fun uh doing it and i want to get back with matt sorum but i need matt to, mm -hmm. he was really anchoring uh the gun, our Guns and Roses. Guy. Yeah, people was, love love them. They're so much fun to do. I know. The uh, were you at the show where Tom Jones was there? I was. Yes, I was. Yeah. I was there. Yeah, at the, was, the 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 Manson the. the, the <laughs> The Manson House. We did it at the Manson House. It had the, well, it had the I vibe. Know. It had the vibe. And then I took a picture with Tom Jones and there's a waterfall. Maybe it was my imagination. Like yeah. There were faces <laughs> in the waterfall. Oh and I was like, I think that's that hairdresser. I, sorry, I wish I hadn't. I started Googling like oh who, gosh. because there were distinct faces. And one of them was the hairdresser that the, okay. was murdered there. You just 
That but scared me. My niece said somebody really tried to feng shui this house because there are yeah. giant crystals everywhere and they had the waterfall, which is supposedly good energy. Somebody yeah. definitely came in and did a professional feng shui on that house. That was one of our strangest uh, shows yeah. that, that we did. Yeah, it was a wonky energy there. I don't know. But Tom Jones, what a thrill. Yeah, that I was mean, fun. Yeah. That was fun because so I'm a huge Tom Jones fan. Did, were you at that thing, the thing at that house where he sang? Uh, was that the same house? Or was it was the same thing? house, but it yes. was a, a previously. It wasn't during our show, during the living room show. Because yes. he's friends with the guy who owns the house. Yes, I was. <laughs> and I was very... And he, I asked him if he was going to sing the yeah, night we, we, we were, were trying to get. We were going to stick around if he was going to sing. And it was but like, he oh, said, I, but so. I, I remember he, so a band was playing, and he said, I said, are you, Tom, are you going to sing? And he goes, to rock and roll for me. <laughs> yeah, there was an after party. So we were finishing up our, our living room show with... Yes. like. Our, our cute little sketches and you know our, our you know Bing Crosby music and everything and all of a sudden these busloads of these these girls in like high heels and like uh, like hot pants and stuff started yeah. showing up and they were all talking in the hallway and then the, the guy said you you guys need to we the show we we're, we're ready for the after show now. Yes, <laughs> he, he made his the cut. The show. Yeah, he made his cut it a little short, and then all these like guys with tattoos were like unloading equipment, and we're yeah. like, wow, that's like it's sort of like. You know, it's like it's a wonderful life before, yes. and then the after show was like a wonderful life after if he had never existed, like, you know, when Potterville turned into casinos. and Well, it's always one of those funny things like doing the show, because uh -huh. you, you're doing it, and everyone's laughing, and then, you know, you're at the end, you're schlepping your stuff to your car. <laughs> it, remind, it reminded me a little bit of a, of a celebrity charity yeah. thing I did at the Palm with mm -hmm. Frank Marshall, and oh, we got, we got all, the, all these celebrities, mm -hmm. and, you know, Bob Saget. And, mm -hmm. we're all, and the joke was going to be that all we had to do was um, be be waiters, mm -hmm. like right. ha ha ha, uh -huh. pretend to take your order, and people are going to get you know pay a lot of money. Right. Well, of course, when people are hungry and they want to drink, they just want their order. They're not even looking so, at you. You're yeah. like, may I take your order? And they're so like, I'm like, oh, I'm your celebrity <laughs> waiter. I'm, yeah, I'd like a kettle one vodka, and I'm like, I don't know how to get anything. <laughs> And I saw, and then I saw Drew Barrymore like leave, pose for pictures and leave. Oh, right. I was like, wait a minute, does she get to do that? Like uh -huh. she doesn't. We were all here, and it was like cut to. I had such respect for like people like Keith Carradine suddenly uh -huh. became like waiters, like ordering. Oh right. Two steaks, medium rare. Can I? You know. I just did a movie with Keith Carradine. Oh, he is dumb. like the. It was a very low budget movie. Yeah. He's super mellow. I mean, what a great guy. Yes, the best. Okay, well, you I, must come back because we we have been, we didn't even get well maybe a miracle we did not get to Bellum our great. I know. Well, you know what? It was, you didn't talk it, about it. It was my fault because they no, said no, out, they good. said you have forty five minutes. I was like forty five minutes. I better start padding. And then I realized, and then you're like, well, really? I mean, I have some questions. <laughs> I was like, well, we're halfway through the show. You're like, I haven't got a word in it. We'll come back. We'll okay. come back to our uh, Bella Mafia, which was the funniest, uh, craziest, the roulette wheel of, of insanity. Where there's I, a chapter in your book. There you was just an entire say, chapter. There's a great chapter and, in the book. About and there's a lot of crazy things that happen in Bella Mafia no, that aren't even in her book. You have to come all back. All right, we're going to have okay. to do the all Come Mafia back. episode. Okay. Because my favorite, well, there were so many great things, that, but I got to end on a final note because it is true that when we did the movie, and I was a big fan of Jennifer's, but I'm, believe it or not, I am a little shy, uh -huh. but they kept 
putting me in her room. Like they didn't have a trailer for me or something. <laughs> I don't know. But I am that per the people pleaser. Right. Uh -huh. I'm always the one they're like, all right, everyone else is going to be were, And I had no idea. I was like, oh, Ileana likes to hang out. I was like, she's taking a liking to me. Uh -huh. You know, which of course I'm thrilled because Ileana is like the smartest, funniest to me person ever. And um, she would be like in my room, like lying around. I'd be I, like, oh. But I think like I was like I, I would see her in the makeup room and I think I don't think they've told her that they're like we're gonna put you and Jennifer together because we know how close you are and I'm like I've never met her in and my we life, all brought but... in our own costumes like she had uh, Cynthia Rowley Cynthia was donating Rowley. I brought in so much stuff like yeah. I say two thirds of the stuff I wore was ours yeah. and then I wanted like some little a little teeny tiny dress they made me pay for it. Like, yeah. I think I paid full price for it. I'm not sure. Really? But yeah, it was, it, and they actually were giving some of her clothes to Natasha. Oh, yeah. Natasha. Well, that was, yes, as I, as I wrote about yes. one day, I, can't, I was friends with Cynthia Raleigh, very mm -hmm. famous dress designer. And, you know, again, because they asked us to bring in clothes, I was like, well, I'll just wear things. So but, Cynthia sent mm -hmm. clothing, and it was on the rack, and it was decided what I was going to wear for a scene. And I walked in, and I saw Nastasia Kinski, bless her heart, wearing my dress that I had already worn <laughs> in a scene. And I came into the dressing room and I said, she's wearing my dress. And the director like, was really mean. There's a scene where we're supposed to be packing up our clothes really fast to go to New York because we're fleeing the mob, you know, yeah. it's a very frantic. And she's packing up all the clothes and she trips over something, a cable or something yeah. on the floor, falls flat on her face. And the director doesn't go, Ileana, are you okay? He goes, Ileana, very witheringly. Yeah. This scene is about packing and leaving. It's not a scene about tripping and falling. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> it was he hated me because he loved me for an hour. For oh, yeah. one hour he yeah. loved me because I was like, oh, David Green, I said, you did this movie that I love. It's called The People Next Door. Mm. It's tell and he was like, he, he thought that was great. And then the moment came, our first scene with Vanessa Redgrave, little, and we didn't know that they had a history, and they started arguing. And Vanessa said something to the effect of, "I disagree, and so do you, right, Ileana?" And I was like, <laughs> "What am I going to do? Be friends with?" I'm like, "Ha!" Ah. So I chose Vanessa to good and bad effect. She did have tequila in her dressing room, so there, that, that there part, you go. That part was fun. There anyway, okay, we're going to talk about the tequila. More I, next we have, time. I know. You really must come back, Jennifer. Please oh, come back. You know Please what? Can back. we just like cut the whole last hour and we can start now <laughs> and just not even use the last hour? We'll have to come back. We're going to do. We can do an hour on uh, on Bella, Bella Mafia because there's so many crazy uh it's a it's a performance within a we created a which was always my fantasy uh -huh. a performance within a performance within a it. performance i love it and yeah it okay was you can find jennifer yes. on twitter and instagram at j tilla the killer two and tw twitter i'm j tilla oh. the killer two and instagram i'm jennifer tilly oh yeah. you are oh okay yeah got i changed it. Yeah. got it okay i'm verified <laughs> Um, also, you can buy Ileana's book, I Blame yes, Dennis Hopper, on Amazon and at bookstores. Fantastic book. I'm um, in it. Also, like yes. our Facebook page. Check out our website, which is ilianaspodcast.com. And that is all I have to say. That's right. Everyone's life is like a movie with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Sadly, this is the end of our show. Cheers. But it's part some, one. Some people's life has a sequel. Yes. Yes, mm -hmm. indeed. Beginning, I'm going for the, well, I'm going for Ruth Gordon. That's my third act. Nice. That's what I'm going to do. So, I love that. So you could... 
I'll you be know. that old lady that lived to be 110 and made pots. But I remember when we were in Bella Mafia and you said, uh, we're going to work forever because we're character actresses. And I was like, I don't want to be a character <laughs> but I was, But it was a wake-up I call. Say, no, I say we're like, character actresses jiggling yeah. around in my little teeny tiny outfit. I'm a character actress. In our, we had a lot of jiggle on that one. Yes. <laughs> As it was called, Tits and Guns by our executive. Anyway, Bye. have a great Bye, day, everyone. Bye. 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 No, I would Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.